This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Joe Warmington of the Toronto Sun. Joe, great to talk to you this morning. I really want to talk about this story. Food hard to come by for some this Christmas in Christia Freeland's riding. Talk to us about what you wrote. Well, it's just interesting because it all started on your old show on uh, CTV and uh, an interview with uh, Emory Medawake with uh, Deputy Prime Minister Mr. Freeland, who's also the finance minister. Yeah, we, it was a really tough question that she asked uh, the minister. Well, that's right. I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you a little bit of the question, and then we're going to throw to her answer, and then we can okay, talk about right. it on the other side. So she, she said to her, uh, Anne-Marie asked the, the, the minister, um, I'm hoping we can have a conversation about the affordability crisis. She said, I think Canadians have watched as grocery CEOs were paraded in and questioned, but my sense is people are feeling that the liberals don't get it. What example can you share that can illustrate that you understand the pain and the pitch, the pinch that Canadians are feeling at the grocery store? Let's take a listen. Well, you know, Henry, I think the thing that, like, in my regular life, uh, brings the challenge home the most personally to me is that my church, which is around the corner from my house, just up the street from us here, uh, the Church of the Messiah, uh, has a food bank every Wednesday. And the lines have been getting longer. And that is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that we have food banks in Canada. And it's really heartbreaking um, to see that people really need them. So I am grateful to the really amazing people at the Church of the Messiah who have worked so hard to have a food bank and to support our community. And um, it really, it kills me that that's something that they need to do, that we need to do. Joe, that wasn't the question. That was no. not the question. She did not answer the question. It's like going to the police and saying, you know, I had my house broken into, and they said, yes, it's terrible that that happened. And oh, by the way, I lived, you know, down the street and whatever. <laughs> it's just a, an incredible dodge. And you can see with the, the minister is, you know, obviously and the deputy prime minister is, you know, big on knowing the world and what's going on in Ukraine and things like that. I think she's a little more comfortable over there. But it comes right down to home with people standing in line at a church in her own neighborhood uh, down the street from where she lives and just sort of acknowledge that it's happening. Well, that's exactly what her question, uh, Emery's question was, is that, are you out of touch? And she showed with the answer that, you know, clearly she is. And uh, it doesn't make her a bad person no. or anything, but it, do, but it does show that, uh, you know, that they don't have any answer for this. And it's growing, and of course we're seeing it here, you and I, because we cover the city and we pay attention to things like that. And, you know, that was, that was uh, probably one of the, the great sort of gotcha questions of the whole year. Well, and and it, you know, it it should have been a softball. That that was a question served up to show, uh, show that the uh, that the minister has a connection to her writing and 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 that she's a human being. She was asked a question about the pinch that she feels in her own house, and she couldn't do it. And this, and I, I believe that you, you talked about it in the article as well. This is not the first time when asked about the affordability crisis a few months ago. She said that her family had to make the tough decision about uh, to cancel their Disney Plus subscription. You know, it's it's amazing. Well, I I remember writing a column in the summer. You know, let them lead, uh, let them eat lobster, kind of that that play on. Because remember, the caucus and the cabinet went down to 
I think it was PEI, and, and all the stories were all about all the great fun they were having. There was a, basically a paid vacation. She was there. In the middle of all that, uh, you know, there was the word that she was caught for speeding. And I think there's been a few other things. Like, we're not trying to pick on her here today. Uh, everybody has a bad moment. But I think the, the overall theme is that as people can't pay for their houses and, you know, the, the, the affordability issues are really, really at a crisis point. And you can tell that the whole Liberal caucus, as afraid as they are of these polls, they really have no idea of what to do. And all, all, you know, just clearly right in front of them on their own street, it's happening. Oh, look at that. There's uh, more people. The line's getting longer. Instead of the idea of, look, we've got to do something about this. And it can't just be throwing another government program, welfare program into it. We've got to find a way to cut taxes, create jobs, things like that. And I think that you're right. That was a bit of a softball, but she kind of swung and missed there. I'm talking to Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun about his latest uh, article about the disconnect. Uh, that and, and, and you're right, um, Joe, let's be very clear. Um, Christian Freeland is, is, is a, 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 a wonderful. Uh, I met her. She's a, a charming, lovely woman. Uh, highly effective at, at certain things, uh, vital in the renegotiations of NAFTA. She stood up for Canada's interest and did a great, great job. Um, uh, she's, uh, uh, she's smarter than I am, that's for sure. But on this point, and, and again, she, it's just an example. Uh, I think it's endemic of, of the larger problem in Ottawa, which is an unwillingness or an inability by the leaders in the government to connect with the actual pain that Canadians are feeling. We're being told, no, this is we're standing up for Canadians and we're doing X, Y and Z for them. And things are things are are, are moving in the right direction. People do not feel like things are moving in the right direction. And when you're constantly told that the reality that you're facing is not the reality that the government is telling you about, then that disconnect turns into anger. Well, you remember the summer when they asked her about it and she said, well, you don't even need a car in Toronto. Um, (laughs) Just ride your bike, whatever. And then it turns out that she has a limo. Now, of course, uh, being the deputy prime minister, of I course. mean, nobody has any problem with with her needing that and anything that she needs to do that hard job. But uh, I, I think that a lot of the times, and I see this with the prime minister as well, is they really do think that the public is out there kind of almost like fans, like rock stars, like that, and they start to believe their own press. But the reality is that that goes away when you can't feed your family. And, you know, and if you are able to feed your family, but you look out your window and you see other people struggling, that bothers people. And then you turn around and say, well, look, we're going to throw more onto the carbon tax. And that's good for you. In fact, you're going to get more. And you know it's BS. And and I think that that's what's happening to them. And that's why they're so low in the polls. They seem defiant on that. It'll be interesting to see. I suspect being around politics as long as both you and I have and, you know, knowing what we know. I think these are things that you'll see adjustments at some point because, you know, sooner or later somebody says, look, you, you know, you got to wake up here. Uh, there's a reality out here. These people out here that you're kind of trying to pull a fast one on, you know, they're in charge. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you work for them. Yeah. And look, as much as as much grief as uh, as as Justin Trudeau gets these days, he is probably the most skilled retail politician that we have seen in over a generation. And if he decides that he wants to lead this party into the next election, look, he took a party from third place to first place. His priority is currently in second place. So it's not even the uphill climb that he had in 2015. He's got more baggage for sure, but anybody who discounts him uh, does so at their own peril. So uh, it's... Well, you never... Yeah, you, ne- 
going up against the champ. Look at he—he he has never lost at anything. I mean, I don't know anybody that has had the scandals that he has had. You don't need to go through them all. But the blackface one is one that would, you know, obviously destroy anybody else. There's many other things. And he's still standing. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You you would not want to count him out. Ever. And uh, yeah. you know, and I don't think it'll be Christian Freeland that takes his spot. Yeah. I think that was uh, on full display in this case. <laughs> Although we do wish her a Merry Christmas. We do. Because, no, we do. I've got, I've got a lot of respect yeah. for that woman and uh, and a lot of respect for the work that she does. And the sacrifice that every politician makes uh, if they decide to step into the arena. That is an absolute fact. Uh, any politician who decides that they're going to sacrifice their private lives to help Canadians in whatever way they feel they can do so has my, um, has my respect. Uh, Joe, you have my respect as well, and I really wish you a very happy holiday season. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you, Ben, and your family, and also to all the great listeners. Thank you very much. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. City Hall Bureau staff for the Star. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, so uh, Olivia Chow has, has had a, I mean, like, like I just said, it's an uphill battle on some pretty important issues. How do you think she's handled it so far? You know, there's been some real highlights and some lowlights, I guess, you know, like you said, it's, it has, she hasn't been in office that long. It's important to remember that it, this is not sort of a review of a whole year even. It's right. a couple months at, at most, right? Really, the work started in August, late July. Um, so, you know, on the, the plus side, you have the New Deal with the with the province where they're uploading the Gardner and the Don Valley Parkway. There's been a number of funding commitments, um, including to deal with, as you were just talking about, the homelessness crisis and the shelter crisis. But the real problems that existed before she came into office and that are persisting are that, yes, our shelter system is absolutely overwhelmed. It's only getting colder. Um, and that the refugees in particular who are coming into Canada and into our system are being treated horribly and are having to, if they're lucky, find refuge in churches or other organizations um, because we simply can't care for them in the way that we should. And Alicia, these, uh, you know, you said there have been a number of funding commitments, but a funding commitment doesn't mean that those funds have been unlocked yet, does it? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it is um, some of these commitments are contingent on Ottawa paying their share as well, right? So yeah. the federal government sort of has to step up, whether it is on the homelessness front or whether it's on getting new subway trains for Line 2. So that's kind of where the focus has been in the last, I would say, month or so, is sort of when uh, is the federal government going to join in and sort of say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, you know, obviously the city's position is that this money is only fair um, and is very much needed. Again, like, you know, every day we see hundreds and hundreds of people turned away from the shelter system. It's not, uh, you know, it's, there are people who are calling it a, a humanitarian crisis. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to ignore. You've got Doug Ford, a progressive conservative um, provincial leader, and Olivia Chow, who is definitely not a progressive conservative, coming together on some really important issues. Do you have a sense of how her base, how her, the people who voted for her reacted to seeing a coming together of these two people, of these two political forces? You know, it's, it's interesting because um, I remember interviewing her during the election and she talked a lot about how she's a practical person. Mm. Like that is one of her strongest qualities. She Yes, she has, you know, strong values and, and 
describe herself as a social democrat and all of those things. But she's like, at her heart, she's a practical person who likes to find solutions. And I think in a way we've sort of seen that. And so if you, you know, are sort of a fan of Chow, maybe that's something you expect from her, that she is going to be able to work with people and find common ground to actually sort of get things done. That's something she prides herself on. Um, but of course, there are people who think that we haven't made enough progress, that this is, you know, I think Ontario Place is kind of maybe a potential example of, you know, we had a lot of strong words about fighting for Ontario Place. But in the very practical sense, you know, the city didn't have that much fight available to them. Yeah. And so Travis kind of backed down there and said, you know, the fights with Queen's Park as part of getting this deal with the province done. And so, you know, there are people who don't like that, but also there may be people who say, well, we needed yeah. that billion dollars. I, I, I think I think I could hear it in her voice. I, I'm projecting here, but it really felt that when that when that deal was struck for to just end the fight, it felt like I heard relief in her voice that she didn't have to fight that fight anymore. You know, my, my colleagues, uh, David Ryder and Ben Spur, did some reporting on how, you know, the initial plan from the province was a much stronger position from Channel on Ontario Place, like supporting it. And, and she said no to that. But I think also, like, there's a lot on the city's plate right now. And perhaps one last thing is is a bit of a gift. Yeah, I'm talking to Alicia Hasham, City Hall Bureau staff with The Star. We're talking about a sort of year-end review of Olivia Chow's performance as our new mayor here in the city of Toronto. You talked about her being a practical person. And and I think I want to know what you think about uh, her, her position on renaming Young Dundas Square, because mm-hmm. it, it seems like she struck quite an interesting compromise there. She ran on changing the name of Dundas Clear across the city, which was going to cost us around $12 million. And instead, she she came up with with this what I think is a, a compromise of the, the uh, I believe a one TTC station and uh, uh, as well as uh, as the square itself a far lesser cost at a time where we don't have any money. So I think she she got the big ticket name change without the the pain and money that is associated with a massive change across the city. How do you view it? Yeah, so that's absolutely one way to look at it. Um, I don't think everyone looks at it that way. I mean, just last night, my colleague uh, Ben Spur wrote about the head of the Young Dundas uh, Board of Management retiring. This is the, the guy who basically leads the board in charge of running the square because he doesn't feel that the consultation process was followed and the sort of all the steps were followed to, you know, yeah. so there was consensus on the name. There's been a lot of controversy around the choice of this particular name, was, you know, from even from people sort of on the renaming committee, so it was just pushed through too fast. Now, it, what, it, what, it did seem fast. I, I'm not quite sure what the the reason behind the speed by which for, by which it, it was done. It, was, it seemed I don't know why it couldn't have happened over the process of months as opposed to days. Yeah. And I mean, maybe there is sort of a, you know, and this is this is a speculation on my part, but a frustration on the part of Chow, maybe that things move too slowly at City Hall sometimes. And she's an impatient person who wants to get things done. Um, but that's kind of also sort of figuring out how to work within a bureaucracy and make sure that people feel heard and and things are addressed because otherwise you sort of get these kinds of issues that come up and prolong what's already an issue that has taken a very long time to discuss here. (laughs) Well, listen, she wanted the job. She got the job. And now, you know, I am not, uh, as I said, we don't see eye to eye politically, but this is a big job. And so I think she deserves a little bit of time before a a lot of this stuff sticks to her. I don't think that she necessarily has to own a lot of this stuff yet. 
And uh, and these are important files that need uh, attention and they need uh, money. And she's got she's got some of it right now. But I'm the type of person that's going to reserve judgment on a lot of these things because she hasn't had the job that long. Yeah, I think the budget cycle coming up sort of early next year will be a really interesting thing to watch about what we actually see and what's going to be different from previous years. Well, hopefully you can join us and talk about it then. We appreciate it. And I hope you have a happy holiday season, Alicia. Same to you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're joined now by Michael Levitt, president and CEO of Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, uh, but it's something we absolutely have to talk about, don't we? You're absolutely right, Ben, and thank you for having me on this morning. Um, it absolutely is something we have to talk about. It, and you gave a couple of the stats. I mean, we've seen um, 57% of reported hate crimes in the aftermath uh, of the Gaza war uh, were directed at the Jewish community, were, were anti-Semitic. And uh, there's been an 81.5% increase in uh, anti-Semitic hate crime reports since January. And, but here's the thing, Ben, the Jewish community in Toronto, we, we didn't need the stats to know it. Yeah. Um, we see it at our kids' schools. We hear about it on university campuses, in workplaces. It's palpable. Um, and it's been that way for a while. It's only got worse since October 7th. Well, and and it's, um, it seems to me like the, the, the causes of this are... At, at, at the heart, it's you know this. It's the the, the universal his, historical anti-Semitism that existed has existed worldwide. But it's fueled, it seems to me, by a number of factors, not the least of which is um, uh, sort of um, uh, apologists on college campuses, as well as ineffective policing that is allowing vitriol to turn into violence. So you're absolutely right in pointing out that the, you know, the anti-Semitism didn't start um, churning on October 7th, uh, you know, but, but I have to say, it's unfathomable to the Jewish community that, that in the aftermath of one of the most horrific days for Jews, certainly since the Holocaust, the, great, the day of greatest death for Jews since the Holocaust, that the aftermath is um, a surge in anti-Semitism uh, throughout, you know, society, uh, coming from the left and coming from the right. We've seen uh, white supremacists ramp up their campaigns on social media. But of course, we've seen um, the virulent, uh, uh, corrosive anti-Semitism on the far left, on university campuses, on our streets. Listen, I think um, all Canadians, uh, because it's not just Jews that are impacted by anti-Semitism and hate, and by the way, hate crimes writ large are up, targeting everybody. And when it targets uh, the Muslim community, the LGBTQ plus community, it's wrong in all of its forms. But when we see the sort of images that we saw out of shopping malls across Canada, including in our city, right here in yeah. Toronto at the Eaton Centre and Yorkdale, all Canadians should be concerned. That's what hate looks like. Those, those masks that were there, the, the vitriol that was present, all Canadians um, should be concerned about where we're headed because that was not just targeting the Jewish community. 
Um, you know, it probably wasn't Jews sitting in the grotto in Ottawa um, for the visit with Santa. And I just think we need to reflect as a society where this is heading. Jews alone can't fight anti-Semitism. Um, and we know that the hate that starts with the Jews never ends with the Jews. So, yes, we'd like to see um, uh, increased prosecution uh, of hate crime. I will flag that Toronto Police has been very vigilant. On October 8th, they started with their mobile command centers up and down Bathurst Street, um, protecting, patrolling Jewish neighborhoods, Jewish institutions. So I do want to you know, say that they've been incredibly responsive. Would we like to see um, more action taken uh, when hate transpires at these um, gatherings, absolutely. But, but you know, we, we have um, certainly experienced um, from Toronto Police a responsiveness uh, in reaction to the hate that we've been facing on the streets. I am talking with Michael Levitt, the president and CEO of Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center, and we're talking about the rise in anti-Semitic attacks and violence and threats across the city of Toronto. We've been talking about what it's like on the ground, uh, Michael, but let's go Let's go to the top. Let's go to the top of the, the pyramid and, uh, and our leaders in Ottawa. What does it say to you uh, as the leader of uh, the CEO of Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center that uh, the leader of Hamas or one of the leaders of Hamas put out a video essentially thanking Canada for its position, demanding a ceasefire, demanding um, Israel put down its arms uh, in this war against Hamas. What does it say to you that the, the people on the other side of the equation are thanking Canada for its leadership on this file? Well, I'll answer that question, not just as a member of Canada's Jewish community, but as a former Liberal MP and chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, until 2020. And I can't even describe to you how disappointing it was for the Jewish community that Canada chose to take that stand. And we have seen um, an incoherent foreign policy on this issue in the Middle East because the government has been very supportive at times and then has waffled back and forth. And let's just be clear, there was a choice to be made with regards to that vote because the majority of our G7 allies did not vote in favor of that motion. We saw Italy, we saw Germany, we saw the UK abstain, we saw the US um, vote against it. Uh, and there was a choice to be made. Uh, and that sent a message to the Jewish community in Canada. There is, we, we want our government to be looking for solutions to this. Nobody, we all want an end to the fighting. We want an end to, uh, to the humanitarian crisis that's happening in Gaza that Hamas brought into effect on October 7th when it committed those atrocities in Israel. We want an end to the fighting. We want an end. We want peace in the Middle East. We want to see that happening. But voting for that resolution, which contained not a word, not a single word of condemnation for Hamas, mere minutes after a statement was introduced alongside New Zealand and Australia that, caused for, that called for Hamas to lay down its weapons, to stop using human shields, that Hamas would have no role in future governance of Gaza, to, to vote for that, uh, yes, for the, to vote for that resolution at the UN in the aftermath of that speaks to an incoherence of foreign policy, and that's concerning and should be concerning not just to Canada's Jewish community. Uh, we really appreciate your time and your insights on this very important matter. Michael Levitt, the president and CEO of Friends of Simon Wiesenthal Center. I hope to speak to you again in the new year under far, far better circumstances. Thank you so much for being here. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto.
and we are joined now by Natalie Wall, Toymaster. That's a great name <laughs> from Spin Master. She's here in studio with us. We've got a lot to talk about here for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is you're here to give away a toy. Of course. Okay, so what toy are we giving away today? So this is the hottest toy of the holiday season. This is Bitsy. So this is the digital pet you can really touch. It reacts to your swipes, tilts, and touches. And the way that it works is it starts off as a baby. It's just like a pet. So the more that you interact with it, feed it, play with it, the more it will grow and grow. It starts off as a baby, adult, and then a super bitsy. You can play games. It's really fun. So my, my, my sense is this is probably like a, a newer version of what was it called? Tamagotchi exactly. from back in the day? That's Interesting. Exactly. Yeah, but it doesn't die on you. Oh, never it die. won't die. Oh, so good. if you leave uh, it, you know, you so need no to do tragedy. No, no tragedy. No tragedy this holiday season. Exactly. Okay, so we're giving away a bitsy thanks to Natalie Wall and Spin Master. And uh, here's how you can win if you're a lucky listener. Text us at 416-870-6400. But you have to answer the following question. Which Canadian singer has a song called Mistletoe? Let us know. Take a guess. Uh, please include your name and the answer. And if you include your name and you answer correctly, we'll be drawing a name and we're going to contact the winner. And you can pick it up from our studios. We'll even provide those details. Maybe even donate the toy if you win. You know, that's a good idea. You can donate this toy. There's a lot of people who need uh, toys this uh, this year. We, and we've got a toy drive we're going to be talking about in just a little bit. But let's get back to Spin Master. Let's get back to Natalie Wall, our guest from Spin Master. How do you become a toy master? Oh, well, it's just simple. You have to go to the North Pole, meet Santa, <laughs> meet with the elves. And if you're good enough, you can become a toy master. Okay, well, I'm glad to have you here <laughs> because honestly, I still have some present shopping uh, to do for oh, certain okay, people. Oh, okay, well, I my... got some great toys for you. Okay, great so, recommendations. Okay, let us know. Besides the Bitsy. Of course, yeah. So uh, for all those Swifty fans out there and just those creative kids, we have the Cool Maker Pop Style Bracelet Maker. So you can make up to 10 bracelets all you have to do is pop on elastics and beads, pop the top, and you have a bracelet. No knots, cuttings, clasps, and you're set for your Swifty concert, whatever you need. And what's it called again? The Cool Maker Pop Style Bracelet Maker. Cool Maker Pop Style. I gotta, okay, you got to write it down. I, I got cool. I'll write that down after. Okay, that's a great one. Okay, what else we got? We uh, For those preschool fans, of course, we have Paw Patrol. Everybody loves Paw, Everybody Patrol. Loves Paw Patrol. Of course. So if you're a fan of Paw Patrol, you'll know that this past summer we had the Paw Patrol The Mighty Movie come out. Mm -hmm. So straight from The Mighty Movie, we have the Paw Patrol Aircraft Carrier Playset. So it's just over two feet wide, uh, has an amazing transformation, of course, a chase figure, lots of fun. And you can recreate those iconic scenes from the movie as well. Oh, that's uh, that's amazing. Um uh, yeah, I, I, Paw Patrol has was such a big thing. It's still, it's huge. It's, it's still no, it's still huge. But for my mm -hmm. for my kids, my boys are thirteen now. Okay, but they could not get enough, and I loved it too. I went, I took them to the I think the first movie. Oh was, yeah, of course, yeah. It, I mean, it, 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 you guys really found a way to. Because it's it is for kids. This is not one of, of those things that oh, adults can appreciate a certain level of humor. No, no, this is a kids movie, but it was yes. really enjoyable for parents. Yeah, as well. exactly. It's very heartwarming. And who doesn't love dogs that can talk? Hundred percent. <laughs> dogs with jobs also. Exactly. Dogs with jobs are very very important. Very important. Uh, another. I remember when I was hosting a morning show on another network. Mm -hmm. um, we had a, a toy a, a toy giveaway on the show, and the Hatchimal. Oh, came of course. Out. Who doesn't love Hatchimals? No, well, but th that was like um. That was like a. It was a craze. It was a craze, almost like a Cabbage Patch craze exactly. from back in the eighties. Yes. That I, when I saw that thing, I was like, "This is gonna be the biggest toy of the year," and it was. It was, yeah. And, and so Hatchimals are still going strong. They're still going strong. This season, we have a great new innovation for Hatchimals. Hatchimals Alive, and the way that it works is you feed it water, and it'll automatically hatch on its own. You watch it hatch in front of your eyes. You don't even have to crack it open or anything. It's very <laughs> cool. Yeah. 
It's amazing. It's absolutely how who do you guys have like a group of people sitting around just coming up with? We absolutely ideas? do. Yeah, we have inventors. And how do you how do you circle around it like a good idea? And how do you decide? Okay, this is an idea that we're going to take from from sort of the idea version, like and 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 build it into a toy that we're going to sell. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a whole team of inventors and then you know, we re- we source out inventors as well. So they come to us with these amazing ideas. People who have previously made toys in the past. Um, and we, you know, test it on kids, of course, the main audience who we're trying to get to. Um, what, what about kids at heart? I mean, maybe you should have, maybe you should have, some, I don't know, like 47 year old men exactly. who, who like to play with toys and yeah. aren't ashamed of it. Definitely. Like, I mean, they're definitely a part of it. The people who work for Spin Master, of course. Um, but yeah, we test them on kids, see how they interact with it. That's a big part of it. Uh, if they are bored with it in five seconds, you know, we're not going to put that out to the public. But, you know, we, we were talking before the break uh, about uh, sort of the environmental impact of toys. Mm-hmm. And you were telling me that uh, a big um, push within Spin Master is to do a lot more with cardboard. Exactly. Yeah. So we're taking plastic out of a lot of our toys. The toys specifically from Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie, don't include a lot of plastic in the packaging. Um, so that's a really great in- in- innovation for Spin Master. All right. Do you have any more toys for us to talk about? Yes, of course. So um, if you know Paw Patrol, you'll know Rubble, the character. Well, yeah. he has his own spinoff series called Rubble and Crew. And there is a Rubble and Crew Barkyard playset. So this is straight from the show. It has a very cool crane, a Rubble character. Um, and it ha- also includes kinetic sand. Build it sand. Are you familiar with kinetic sand? Yes, I am. That's okay. very cool. Yeah. yeah. So we make kinetic sand as well. So it includes kinetic sand. So you get that creative play as well as that construction play. So, so, so Rubble, did he leave Paw Patrol? No, he's still very he's, much on the okay. team. So he just said he wanted, he had his own solo project he wanted exactly. to do. Exactly. So he's with his family. Right. His whole yeah. family is a crew of construction people. So, so there's no, um, there's no rumors of a breakup that there we got to worry no, about. I don't want to. In the patrol you know, itself. I don't want to alert anybody. There is no breakups. Okay. Nope. Rubble gotcha. is good and he's in the crew, but he has his own, he has his family, you know, back home. So he's working on the construction site sure. with his family and yeah, he has the he has a great crane, and that's yeah. a toy that you can recreate from could, the show. Could we see other spinoffs happen within the patrol itself? Potentially, yeah, potentially, absolutely. It's very, exci- it glad, is very I'm exciting. I'm glad to see that that they're able to um, explore their other uh, their their other passions, right? Exactly. With other, other groups as well, because sometimes you can be very insular when you're in a, a group like Paw Patrol. Exactly. You can forget about the world around you. Yeah, and, Rubble and has not done that. He has not done. He's 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 staying true to himself. Exactly. He's, he's a dog of the people. Exactly. Exactly. Of Fantastic. Course. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm I'm standing I'm sitting here with uh, Natalie Wall, Toy Master from Spin Master, and she's talking about the hottest toys for the holidays. She also remind people that we're doing a giveaway of, of a of a Bitsy, which yes. is the hottest toy this Christmas. Absolutely. Sort of like so it's not wrong to call it like a modern day Tamagotchi it is that, not will, wrong. that will not die on you. It will not die. All you have to do, you know, clean up after it, feed it, play games. It interacts with you. So you can touch it. It's a, so it's not just on a screen. You can, when you pet it, it reacts. And and, uh, if you want to participate in this giveaway, if you want to win this Bitsy, you've got to text it at 416-870-6400, and you have to answer the following question. Which Canadian singer has a song called Mistletoe? So let us know what your guess is, and please include your name in the answer. And if so, we'll be drawing a name from, from those who answer correctly. We'll contact the winner, and you can pick it up at our studios. And if you're feeling like it, you know, we, we invite you to donate that toy because Global News and 640 Toronto is thrilled to once again support the Toronto Firefighters Toy Drive for the 17th consecutive year to help those less fortunate this holiday season. So through the entire month of December, 
People are encouraged to make monetary donations or drop off a new unwrapped toy at any local Toronto fire hall, including the Bitsy. <laughs> and you can also donate to the cause online. And for a link, you can head to the Global News website. Just so everyone knows, there are over 80 fire stations throughout the city. Definitely one or two in your neighborhood. So go online, find out, drop off a toy, and make someone's holiday season bright. Um, Natalie, uh, thank you for being here. Are there any other toys that you want to tell us about? Sure. Yes. Um, are you a fan of Batman? Okay, well, little yeah. did you know, the next year is the 85th anniversary for Batman. That's so not little did I know. I know as a Bob Kane invented Batman. My dog's name is Bruce Wayne. No way. Yes. Okay, well, Bruce Wayne is going to love this one. It is the Batman Gotham City Guardian playset. So it comes with three vehicles, the Batwing, the Bat Tank, and the Bat Cycle. They combine to make an over two-foot-tall Batman figure. It's amazing with lights and sounds. It's awesome. It's like it's like a modern day Voltron. Exactly. Really yeah. fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. Natalie, one more toy. Yeah, any more? Uh, yeah, I can talk about the new Hatchimals toy. Oh yes, yeah. the Hatchimals toy. Yeah, so yes. this is the Hatchimals Live Hatchy Nursery playset. So it comes with five different Hatchimals that hatch with water. So all you have to do is pour water into a <laughs> pool, and you just watch the Hatchimals hatch on their own. That is amazing. Gosh, you guys are. I, I love Spin Master, and I love uh, talking to people who love their work. Thank you, Natalie, for being here. Happy holidays to Happy you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you. And just a reminder that the uh, six forty uh, Toronto Firefighters Toy Drive is going on. On through the month of December, go to the Global News website for a link on how you can help and donate. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's News, Today's Talk. 640 Toronto. Joined now by Adam Froman, founder and CEO of Delvinia, known as a visionary business leader who's grown his firm into a globally competitive group of companies over the course of the past two decades. He's a big believer in the transform- transformative power of digital technologies. And he's got uh, a survival playbook for Canadian businesses, how companies can not only survive, but thrive in the new year. Um, Adam, thank you so much for being here. That's a bold statement to make, especially uh, with the economic landscape that a lot of people think we're going to be facing, uh, a lot of headwinds facing businesses in 2024. Thanks, man. It's nice. uh, This is probably the first time I've been on doing some media in about a year since I sold my company two years ago. And, you know, as I've sat and sort of reflected, I took the year off just to kind of reflect and recover and watch what was going on. There's so much noise out there. I'm a lot of my business colleagues, particularly my Canadian ones are just sitting there really nervous about, you know, what they've just endured over the past three years and what 2024 is looking at. And what I've actually had the opportunity to kind of sit back and reflect on is, you know, things are pointing to becoming an incredible 2024 with all the noise going on, with some of the you know announcements by government in terms of commenting around stalling innovation in Canada, I think if companies can just focus on a few things that will help them really you know grow their businesses in 2024, as as the economy starts turning around, they're going to really see some incredible growth. Well, I'm I'm really glad to have somebody on who's bullish on the future. And you seem to be armed as well, not just with a, a positive attitude, but with a game plan, with a playbook. So let's let's delve into that playbook. What are some okay. of the things that businesses need to do in order to take advantage of, as you say, this, this possible turnaround in the economy? Well, I think the first thing most of the companies have to do and, you know, trying to find the light at the end of the tunnel and when are things going to uh, turn for them. I think the first thing that I've been helping a lot of companies over the past year or two since I've been free has been just really look at what the situation is right now. So, you know, 
got, um, interest rates are very high. There's a lot of turmoil around innovation funding for companies. Companies are still saying, well, I, you know, trying to be that optimistic, hopeful. But if you actually step back and you look at how do you navigate all these pieces together? So, you know, if, if companies right now are looking at, you know, double digit interest rates that they need money, I myself are one of those entrepreneurs where I went back and I did, wasn't afraid to say, I believe in my business. So I'll use my assets at lower interest rates because they're solid assets to help finance that next stage of growth. If you're not willing to do that, you're going to have a lot of trouble because the venture capital market is very soft right now. And banks are really hesitant to support companies, especially technology companies that don't have any hard assets. So the first thing is you can't be afraid to use your own assets to help your company get to that next stage. You got to put your own skin in the game. Oh, hundred percent. If you're not afraid to lose your house, to help your business grow, I don't believe that you have a business that's going to take off to the next level. And is that an indicator? Uh, if you're a founder of a company and you remortgage your house or, or, or you, you take out a line of credit that you are personally responsible for, is that an indicator to, as you said, the, the, the financiers and to the banks that you're serious about your business? That's a great question. I actually think I went through this exact situation where I sat down. My com- this was before um, everything changed in the economy. But I went, sat down with every single bank and said, look, I've got a great business. It's 25 years old. My technology business are taking off. I need financing for the next six months to get me to that next level before I look for outside fi- funding. Because the minute you look for someone to invest in your business, you're giving up what's called equity. And if you're giving up equity, that's way more expensive than being able to borrow some money and pay it back. Mm. So what happened to me is every single bank turned me down, said, well, this is, you know, we can't finance you because you don't have the hard assets because you're a technology company. Right. And that was troublesome for me. But when I put up my own assets to help us reach that next stage, the benefit I got from it was that allowed me to actually double my size it doubled my valuation. So when I did sell my businesses, I did that much better. And the banks never cared. So I think you have to realize that the banks aren't there to help you grow. They're, they serve a purpose with very little risk to help you finance, but you can't rely on, it doesn't make you look any better unless your company, which is really my second point that I to kind of focus with everyone is that they need to focus on the business fundamentals. So, Man, we went through a stage of incredible investment from venture capitalists, particularly in Canada, coming uh, U.S. venture capitalists coming investing in Canadian companies, helping them get to that next stage where, well, the founders gave up a large portion of their equity. They didn't really have to risk their own capital to do it. And now the venture capitalists aren't there. We have high interest rates. If you focus on your revenues, managing your costs, and showing some profitability, which is old school business. Yeah, that's, that's right. what the financiers and those that are will focus on is saying, "Hey, you're a profitable company. We want to back you." So that's another really important point. So when you say fundamentals, you really mean the fundamentals. Can you repeat those for us? What are those? What are those key points that in these t- trying times? Uh, a, a founder should be focusing on and, and maybe are you saying at the expense of the extraneous stuff, uh, the, focusing on the must haves as opposed to the nice to haves? 
Yeah, right now it's not a time for necessarily growth. 2024, I think, will be. But founders need to focus on showing that their business can generate revenues. So go and take time, spend time with your customers. Really show that they're spending the money on your service or your product that you're doing. Hmm. Manage your costs with an iron fist because now you're using your, you're probably using your own assets to help finance this stage of growth. So be very careful about what you spend your money on. And most importantly, what everybody wants to see, they want to see profitability. There was a huge push at speed to grow your business at the expense of not being profitable. And I think companies need to realize that they need to be profitable to grow. And if you focus on, it doesn't have to be huge profits, but if you're showing the profitability, that's what's going to attract further investment to allow you to really take off. Adam, we're going to leave it there, but I want to thank Adam Froman, the founder and CEO of Delvinia, for being an optimistic voice for entrepreneurs as we head into 2024. Thank you very much, Adam, and have a happy holiday season. Thanks, Ben. All the best to you and your family. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It is my pleasure to introduce to the show the leader of the New Democratic Party of Canada, Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, great to talk to you again, my friend. Hey, great to hear your voice and great to talk to you too, Ben. So, Jagmeet, I'm not going to say anything that uh, you're not going to disagree with here, but um, you and I probably don't agree on everything. But you recently wrote a letter to the prime minister and the final line of it, I think everyone in the city of Toronto would agree with, doesn't matter their political stripes. No one should be sleeping on the streets this holiday season. I, I, I could not agree with you more. Why did you write this letter to the prime minister? And tell us about more about the letter. Yeah, the letter was really highlighting the, some of the stuff that we saw pretty recently. I'm sure people saw these images of, of refugees that were on the streets in Toronto. Uh, they were turned away from shelters. The situation has gotten really dire. So we, we decide as a nation, as doing our part as global citizens, that we want, we want to welcome a certain number of refugees a year. That is, that is a part of our global responsibility. We say that we, we are going to help people that are fleeing some of the worst conditions. And it's important to note that refugees are folks that are fleeing the worst of the worst. These are people that are fleeing torture or death, uh, imminent, really horrible things happening to them or their families. And they're fleeing that, and they come to a place where they're seeking refuge, only to end up on the streets. And this is something that is also squarely the federal government's responsibility. Sometimes there's confusion. Whose job is it? Who's responsible? In this case, there's no confusion. It is the federal government's responsibility. And now and in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, in Toronto. I mean, you, you, there's some staggering statistics uh, in your letter. I, I shook my head because I didn't know this, that the current wait time for a one-bedroom apartment in social housing is 14 years? Yeah, there there is so... Uh, such a backlog and so few places available for people right now that when people come in looking for a home, there is, there's nothing available. It's, it's 14 years. I mean, that's at almost a decade and a half that you got to wait and it's just, it's impossible. Uh, on top of that, the shelter system in, in Toronto, there's also people struggling with homelessness in, in general, and we've got refugees and they're all trying to find a bed in the same places. So, 40% of the people that end up trying to find shelters to go through the shelter system are actually refugees. So the letter is expressing the dire situation. No matter whether you were born here or moved here, everyone should be able to have a roof over their head. And the federal government's got to do its job and fulfill its obligation, really. It's its responsibility. 
okay. to make sure that refugees are welcomed. So, so and you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, you've, you've got to balance out the equation. If you're going to bring people here, you've got to have them, uh, you've got to give them somewhere to live. It's, uh, right. I, don't, I don't want to be glib, but the expression out of the frying pan into the fire sort of applies here, right? You're leaving, leaving a terrible yeah, situation yeah, at I'm, home only to have a, an equally terrible situation in a place where you have no sense of community. You don't have roots here. You could argue in some ways it's a, it's, it's a more uncomfortable situation because you don't know the language, you don't have friends, you don't have family. This is a new and foreign place to you. And, and all well, the more reason for the city to be a welcoming place. Now, you say the federal government has the obligation. So it, if you could wave a magic wand, what would this federal government do to solve this problem? Well, the, the city of Toronto and Mary Olivia Chow has laid out what's needed uh, specifically for, for housing refugees. And, and they've made an ask and the government, the Liberal government actually promised to come through with this funding and has not yet. The other, the other piece, so there's, there's an amount of money that we've, we've outlined that the, the, the Liberal government promised that uh, Mayor Chow feels is necessary. That amount has not, not been provided. On top of that, and this is something where we're talking about people that we don't agree with. I, I very strongly disagree with, with the Premier, Doug Ford, on everything, basically. But I have to acknowledge that on one thing, he's teaming up with uh, Mayor Chow on, on an initiative to, to support refugees. And the only level of government that's missing in action on this right now is the federal government, is Justin Trudeau. And so that's also something I highlight in the letter that, that there is a, there's a partnership that's already been committed to at the provincial and municipal level, and the federal government's missing an action on this one. So that's another problem. And, well, you know, and you refer to a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity here. I think this is, in a lot of ways, a, a, a rarity that should be capitalized upon because you've got a, um, a self-avowed social democrat as our mayor. You've got a progressive conservative provincial leader. You've got a liberal prime minister. The three of them could come together and find common cause on this this isn't just one issue. This is a series of crises that intersect. And if the three levels of government could come together and find common cause on this, this would be a, a model for cooperation moving forward on a number of files. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly why we mentioned this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And particularly given the gravity of what's going on, how dire things are, and the season. There's something to be said about it's that time of year where often people start to dig deep and think about how they can express that generosity and that concern for their fellow human. It's, it's the right time, particularly now when it's also coinciding with temperatures getting colder. So it's even harder if someone ends up on the street, it's, it's even worse when it's, when it's cold out. So all of that to say that that's why we're putting pressure since yesterday, we, we wrote the letter and then today I'll be going and touring some of the, some of the places where, where refugees end up, the shelters where homeless uh, folks end up, uh, and some of the churches that have stepped up uh, and really stretched themselves very thin. They do not have the operating budget to do these things. But out again, out of their generosity, they're, they're trying to find ways to help people. I'm speaking with Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the Federal New Democratic Party, and we're talking about the homelessness crisis, the refugee crisis, the affordability crisis. Uh, and they all, like I said, all seem to intersect in this mm-hmm. pivotal time in the city of Toronto. Um, uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, th- this, is a, this is a time where I believe the crisis is so big that we have to come up with solutions uh, outside of the box. And it seems like a lot of the solutions that we're looking at 
won't either won't be able to be implemented uh, in, in, in uh, soon enough to ensure that people don't freeze and die on the streets or the solutions that we are creating are for 100 beds here, 200 beds there. When what we need is uh, we need the capacity for thousands, in fact, as many as 10,000 beds to keep people warm this winter. What can we do? Where can we put these people? If you, if you like uh, one of the suggestions I, I thought of was the, the, the empty warehouse that is Nordstrom at, at, um, at the Eaton Center would be a perfect place to set up an emergency shelter for the winter to give us that that runway to figure out what to do once the weather warms up again in the in the in the spring. Yeah, what we do, what we need is a combination. There's there's immediate short term need uh, to avoid the worst from happening, people freezing on the streets. So we need an immediate response and then we need a long-term solution that looks at uh, a kind of a wide range of options for affordable homes and affordable housing from more permanent shelter spaces to people actually finding a place they can afford and cutting down that wait list that we talked about from 14 years to to something that we get people into homes in in weeks or, or days. Uh, the the immediate crisis is there are there are facilities or there's buildings or there's places where we could temporarily house people to get them off the streets to get them into safety, but that requires funding and that's why the the plan that's being proposed by Mayor Chow and and that's uh, a component of that plan that's being supported by by even the premier it is to convert places into to quickly uh, allow for people to move into. The, the things that you mentioned, there are facilities, there are buildings, there are places that with some funding could be immediately turned into temporary shelters. That's the immediate crisis that we're up against. And that's what we're pushing for in terms of the let's save people right now. And then we can when we also need to look at what are the permanent solutions to address that kind of all those crises coming together in this in this point where we've got the affordability crisis in general, we've got refugees not being supported, and we've got people that are already struggling with homelessness. That's something we also need to deal with, and we can do both of those, and we, and we have to. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, before I let you go, we only have about a minute left, and I want to get your take on Canada's um, support of the non-binding UN resolution that elicited a thank you, essentially, from a senior leader of Hamas. My personal opinion is I don't like when a decision that Canada makes is is supported by a terrorist group. What are, what are your thoughts when you heard uh, the senior leader essentially thanking Canada for its position, asking for a, um, a, a ceasefire through a non-binding resolution at the UN? Well, I, I'm, uh, I was horrified by the, the initial terrorist attack by Hamas. Hamas is clearly a terrorist organization uh, intent on, on uh, causing violence, causing death, and particularly targeting Israel and, and the Jewish people, and that's completely wrong. Uh, so that is disturbing hearing that. Uh, but the, the I, I have been uh, someone that's been calling for a position that Canada to take um, of supporting the release of all hostages and a ceasefire to stop the violence. Uh, also, as a as a country that's all often played a role in peace, finding a way to get back to the discussion about a, a permanent solution in a two state where where Israelis and Palestinians can live in peace and dignity. So I do believe that we need to move towards that. And that the ongoing violence and the, and the harm that we're seeing is, is so heartbreaking that we have to find a way to stop it. So I do believe in that. But of course, any time we see a terrorist group um, looking at any decision in a positive way is, is concerning. Uh, I do really strongly support any path that we can take towards peace and in stopping the violence. Jagmeet Singh, leader of the Federal New Democratic Party, uh, I wish you and your growing family a very happy holiday season and the best in the new year. 
Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 640 Toronto.